Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to talk about our favorite bikes and gear from 2016. Three of us have had a chance to test a ton of gear this year. We've ridden a lot of bikes, probably at least 50 different mountain bikes between the three of us. Um, and we've also been able to test a lot of gear. And as always, we're keeping up with the latest news on the gear. So we wanted to share some of our favorite things from 2016. I wanted to start off by asking you guys to talk about your favorite bikes from this year. What are some of the bikes that you rode that you really were into? Thanks for having us, Jeff. Um, I think my favorite bike of the year was the new Scott Spark Plus. So it's important to know it's not the new like super racy Scott Spark that uh, Nino Scherter and Jenny Rizvads won the Olympics on, um, but rather the Plus is like more of a trail version of that bike. So the RC is a uh, the racy style Scott Spark, and the the new Plus has. 120 mils of rear travel and 130 up front compared to 100 and 100 on the racier version. So I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the new Scott Spark Plus. What did you like about it? What was the, is it a, is that a 29er? Is it a plus bike? Well, it is a plus bike, but you can also run 29 inch wheels on it if you choose to do so. So you got the options there, but I just really liked that. It felt really good to go fast up the climbs. Like I'm used to riding a lot of long travel enduro bikes and the spark, you know, at like about 20 pounds is, is really, really light and fast and very efficient with the way the suspension design is set up. However, when it comes time to turn back downhill again, it felt extremely confident. Part of it was the plus tires, but I think modern trail bikes these days are just getting so good at doing everything that you can do a lot more with a much smaller suspension package. You know, you don't need to have full 160 to 180 mils of travel to do incredible things on bikes these days. Sweet. What about you, Aaron? So I had uh, five different bikes that I did long-term tests on this year. So Norco Revolver was a 27.5 four-inch travel cross-country race bike, full suspension, full carbon, really fun bike, but just very much about speed. You definitely sacrifice some comfort on that one. I tested the Marin Pine Mountain 2, which was a 27-plus hardtail. That was a fun bike, you know, just for goofing around. You know, it's a hardtail, so it's an efficient climber, but uh, kind of heavy as a steel frame, you know, plus tires. So it's fun to goof around on, but I definitely wouldn't want that as my main ride. A Niner Jet 9 Carbon, this is the last generation, so that's a 29er short travel trail bike. And earlier this summer, Niner redesigned that bike, and it's now much more capable they i mean they added more travel and they totally revamped the geometry so the version i rode is a wholly different bike than the new one i also had a chance to ride another niner but this one was the air 9 rdo which is a 29er carbon fiber race hardtail so that bike another another one that was good for its intended purpose which is going fast definitely there's no dropper post or anything like that. It is definitely a race bike. It is not a, a trail hardtail by any means. And finally, the Pivot Mach 429 Trail, and that is a 29er mid-travel trail bike. I think it's 130 front and like 115 rear. 
travel. So, you know, totally within the realm of trail bike, you know, a little more than XC. And out of those, the long-term test bikes, the Pivot was definitely my favorite. Nice. What'd you like about it? I mean, you tested a lot of different types of bikes. So is it down to the style of bike or do you think it's just really good for what it's intended to do? It was just a great all-around bike. It was really balanced. The So the main things I liked about it is that it's got a DW Link suspension platform, which I just think that's one of the one of the better suspension platforms out there. They have excellent pedaling efficiency when you're going up, but they also are active enough that you can you can maintain great traction on technical climbs and then they're also plush on the descent. So it's just a you can use the shock pedaling platform, but I most of the time I didn't need to. I mean if I was on a really long gravel climb or on a section of road, I might use that, but for 80% of the time I rode that bike, I just rode it with the shock in the open mode, and it was great like that. It had great trail ma- manners. You know, this it, it's not one of those bikes that's gone crazy with going really long or really slack, so it's just a comfortable bike to ride all day long. You can do steep climbs on it without having to fight the, the front end the whole time. You know, I did numerous 30 to 50 mile rides on this bike while I was testing it and it was great. And the Fox suspension. So, you know, part of it, the actual suspension platform itself, but then the suspension components were just great. I mean, it had a, a Fox float factory, which is the high end, you know, Kashima coated shock on the rear. And it was, you know, nothing, nothing too fancy apart from that, but it just went about its business. But really the standout was the Fox 34 fork up front. And that was a factory level fork, which is Fox's highest level. So it gets all the bells and whistles. It gets their nicest damper, which is the Fit4 cartridge, which if you haven't experienced, you should really check it out. It's just fantastic. I mean, it rides high in its travel, but it's supple. And then, you know, it's got big hit performance. So if you do hit something large, it's it's up to the task. So been very impressed with the uh, the new Fox stuff. Nice. Well, I like to pride myself on being into indie stuff, right? So I like indie music. I like craft beer and also like bikes that like nobody else has heard of. And so imagine my surprise when my favorite bike of the year was the Trek Fuel EX <laughs> 9.8. Um, sellout, man. I know. Just a corporate sellout. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and part of the deal is that it can be tough to test some of these more well-known bikes. I mean, you can, you can go and buy them at any store, but a lot of times these companies aren't showing up at the events that we're at. So, yeah, I mean, I tend to I tend to do a lot of lesser-known bikes, but I did get a chance to ride the Fuel EX9.8, uh, which is a full-suspension 29er with about 130 millimeters of travel. And, you know, I only got to do a short test ride on the bike, and the geometry just felt completely dialed to me. I mean, it was just right. It climbed and descended well. But really, the biggest thing is it just felt like a great overall all-around bike. You know, Aaron will tell you that there's no such thing as like a quiver killer or like a, you know, one mountain bike to rule them all. But this is a bike that I could see most mountain bikers just owning this bike and not needing any other kind of bike because it can handle most of the types of terrain that you're going to get into. It's not, maybe not on the, you know, really high end in terms of, you know, downhill or not on the really low end, 
meaning like cross-country racing or anything like that. But if you're like most riders, you know, you're not at either of those extremes. So I think it's a really great bike for that reason. The other thing that I really dig about the Fuel EX 9.8 is the ability to run plus tires on it. So um, this is like a lot of 29ers that we're seeing this year that are specifically designed to be convertible to 27.5 plus. And I'm a big fan of plus tires. I don't know that I would want to commit to them though all the time. So again, um, it just, just that versatility, I think makes it a really cool bike. And then not only that, the pricing is really attractive. You know, Trek has dropped their prices a lot, uh, in the past year. And this bike, it's not cheap. It's, it's about 5,000 bucks, but in this day and age, it seems pretty affordable for what you get because you're getting like a dropper post and, you know, carbon bars and titanium rails on the seat and everything. Well, the, the frame itself is carbon too, right? So. Yeah. Naturally, naturally. Yeah. Of course. Nash. I wouldn't write anything that's not, <laughs> I wouldn't write anything that's not carbon. Just kidding. But yeah. And, and it's even got the stock 29er configuration has 2.4 inch tires, which are some of the widest tires that I've seen on any 29er. So yeah, a lot to get excited about for that bike for me. So I just need to point out that we all independently basically chose the same bike just from three different brands. <laughs> um, they're all about 130, 120 mil travel, full suspension, trail bikes, carbon frames, and the ability to run either 29er wheels or 27.5 plus. I mean, they're all pretty dang similar. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. I mean, there were some things that I, I didn't care for about the pivot, one, I mean, like you mentioned, Jeff, like the ability for the Trek to run plus wheels, the Pivot has that as well. And I think, you know, anecdotally from what we heard, like, you know, these bikes are being sold as you can have the option to run both, but really people aren't doing that. They're choosing one or the other because it's friggin' expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking about on some bikes, it's just a wheel set swap and, you know, you adjust the geometry. So at least you need a set of wheels and a set of tires, right? Which is not going to be cheap. Or other bikes, you have to have a totally different fork because they don't have geometry adjustments. And the way they get around that is by using a longer travel fork with a 27.5. So, I mean, like very few people out there are going to buy, you know, a high-end bike and then go out and buy a high-end fork and another set of wheels for it. So I think, you know, it's great that that you can do that, but realistically, it's like, not an option I don't think most people are going to take advantage of. They're going to choose one wheel size or the other and roll it out of the shop, and that's probably how they'll rock it for the life of the bike. But going back to the pivot, you know, it was kind of heavy. It was a carbon bike, but it weighed 30 pounds. It hid that weight really well. You didn't really notice it on the trail. And it was one of those bikes where, you know, I always like to pick up a bike and try to guess its weight before I put it on the scale. And I was <laughs> off probably by, you know, three or four pounds on that bike. So I'm not quite sure how they made it weigh 30 pounds with the carbon frame, but they did it. And it I mean, part of that was it was a two-by drivetrain, so that definitely adds some weight. You know, you're talking about a front derailleur, you're talking about another chain ring, you're talking about the front shifter and all the cable and housing. So, I mean, that alone, if you got rid of that, it would probably save a pound And then, you know, the plus conversion on that bike, it was just a wheel set swap. Like there was no geometry adjustment. And I'm still not totally enamored with plus wheels for most of my riding. You know, if I can get up to the mountains and there's some extended descents, I like them then. But, you know, for the trails close to home, uh, I'm just not that impressed, at least so far. 
so the pivot didn't have adjust just geometry you just threw some wheels on and then you rode which is you know it's nice because it's an easy swap but it also means your bottom bracket gets way lower and i noticed i was clipping a lot of pedals and i was like man it seems like there shouldn't be that big of a difference but jeff and i actually measured it and when you factor in the sag of the suspension and of the tires themselves because you know if you think about it the plus tires have a much higher sidewall and you're running lower pressure so once you factor in the sag of the suspension and the tire sag the bottom bracket was like an inch lower than on the 29er so it was like barely cracking 11 inches for your bottom bracket height which is i mean that is low it's low for anywhere but especially in the southeast where we've got techie rudy rocky climbs i mean it's just smacking pedals all day long which is you know kind of frustrating and then the last thing that i wasn't super stoked on was the the two by drivetrain you know i personally haven't had a mountain bike with a front derailleur on it in several years and the majority of the test bikes we get are one by drivetrains you know i use the granny ring at times because it's a 30 pound bike and on a 50 mile ride it's it is nice to have but I did miss the simplicity of the one by and probably the biggest bummer about having a two by is there was no good spot for the dropper remote. So it was kind of like rotated towards the top of the bars. So if you didn't, you know, if you got to a section and you all of a sudden needed to drop your post, there were a lot of times where I couldn't do it because I, you know, I couldn't, uh, you know, safely release my thumb from the bottom of the bar to like reach up and around and drop the post. So there's a lot of times where I was, plowing through some chunky section with my seat up when I didn't want it to be. So yeah, not a perfect bike. No bike is perfect, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. The fuel that I tested was also a two by drivetrain, which was surprising. And I will address the idea of these convertible bikes. And like you said, you know, we talked to some people and it sounds like where people have a choice, like with the fuel, you know, you can buy it either as a 27.5 plus or as a 29er. About 80% of the people are choosing the 29er. So 27.5 plus is not like the super popular option right now. But I think the biggest thing that it does, it just lets consumers know that their bike is sort of future-proof, at least for this wheel size. Because who knows, maybe in a few years, people are going to want that different wheel size. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's something where you buy the bike and you also get another wheel set and you swap it every other weekend, depending on where you're riding. You know, because I've been, I converted one of my 29ers to 27.5 plus, And I've been running it that way for... I think over a year now. And I do see myself maybe one day going back to 29, but it's going to be more of a, you know, long-term thing and not necessarily just something that I do on a whim every weekend. Okay. So we talked about the bikes that we tested this year that we really like. What are some of the bikes that you guys didn't get a chance to test this year that you're looking forward to throwing a leg over next year? So that the Pivot was my favorite out of the long-term test bikes, but then I just wanted to give a shout-out to all the test rides that we did. So these were short, you know, maybe an hour, maybe a little bit longer, but, you know, a day or less rides. I actually went back and looked, and I tested at least a dozen different bikes this year as test rides. And the my favorite from there, hands down, was actually the Ibis Mojo 3, which I was surprised because it was a plus bike, and... I really liked it. It was, uh, yeah, it was just great. It was like the pivot, you know, Ibis hasn't gone crazy with their geometry. So 
It was really snappy. It was easy to whip around turns. It was light. I mean, Jeff, you were riding behind me. I was just hucking that bike off of every little route. Yeah, you were pinning it with that bike. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I I really liked the the plus tires on it. They were Schwalbe Knobby Nicks, which is another surprise that I liked them. They said they were 2.8s. I think they were a little undersized, and maybe that was part of the reason I liked it as well, as they weren't, you know, like a true plus size tire. And again, that's another bike that has the DW Link suspension platform. So that just seems to be, you know, one of a one of my favorite suspension platforms out there right now. It's a pretty bike, and you can fit a water bottle in the front triangle, Ooh. which is good because I get thirsty when I ride my bike. <laughs> Whoa! But it is. I mean, like all these bikes, it is not inexpensive. They only make a carbon version of it, so there's no, you know, cheaper route to go with the frame or anything. $4,000 is the least expensive build they offer, which, again, you know, that's not insane. And it sounds like an even better deal when you see that the frame by itself is three grand. So (laughs) four grand for a whole bike seems like a deal. Yeah. But anyway, going back to your question of bikes that came out this year that I want to ride, it would probably be... One of the new crop of long travel 29ers that have come out recently. So that would be something along the lines of the Yeti 5.5C, the Trek Slash, or the new Niner Rip, which I don't know if they're still calling it the Rip 9 since they went with plus compatibility. Mm. So the Rip 9 Plus, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, like, like the, uh, like I was saying earlier, Niner revamped their whole line and the Rip was one of those bikes that Got a huge bump in travel and uh, totally new geometry too. So interested to to check that something along those lines out. Yeah, I could really go for that Yeti five point five. That looked like a great bike, but easily the bike I'm most excited to ride that I haven't ridden yet is the new Trek Farley EX uh, full suspension fat bike. I long felt like the salsa didn't go far enough with the bucksaw with their amount of suspension travel. So the uh, Farley has 120, I believe, front and back, and uh, which is more sort of in line with all the trail bikes we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes, which is pretty rad. So I'd love to give that bike a shot. And it's got 27.5 fat bike wheels, right? Where's the- Yes, 27.5 by 4. Yeah, that's that's a bike I had on my list too. Um, and, and yeah, it's really unique because of the 27.5 fat wheels that are on it. Um, and the other thing, you know, I want to just test it and see what that thing can do. I mean, can it fit 29 plus wheels on it? <laughs> I mean, if, if it can, it seems like it, it could be possible with that bike. So yeah, I would be really interested to see how it rides. And then like you, Aaron, I'm interested to see what these new longer travel 29ers are like. The YT Jeffsy mm. is actually one that I had on my list. Uh, there was you a, just want it because it's called the Jeffsy. That is part of it. That <laughs> definitely gives it gives it a leg up. But uh, I there was just a lot of hype around that bike. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to give it a try. The other thing is it's, it's a really affordable-ish bike, you know, because you're able to buy it directly. Right now, they're like top-of-the-line Jeffsy is 4500 bucks, which is like $1,000 off what they are normally selling it. I don't know if it's like a Black Friday, you know, Cyber Monday deal that's going on today, but, you know, it looked like a really, a lot of bike for not a lot of money. So I definitely want to see if it's the real deal. Yeah, that thing comes with, uh, you know, like the nicest Fox suspension and the really nice drivetrain and everything. So that is, that's a killer deal when you start comparing it to some of the other 
bikes that are out there, at least in terms of what you get for your money. But yeah, you dorks in your fat bikes. <laughs> Just kidding. You're not a dork if you ride a fat bike. <laughs> but I don't get the, well, you know, fat bikes, I get why they're around, but I don't understand like the 27.5 fat. That just seems like Yeah, it's why. really unusual. Yeah. Maybe they want to lock you into buying Bontrager tires. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck finding No, I was sort of looking into it, and there are uh, more, more and more tires and more and more brands are doing the 27.5 fat. Rocky Mountain has specifically released a couple of 27.5 fat, and it seems like the people that are adopting that size are looking at it more as like a racier fat bike, which you know, sort of an oxymoron, but I was, you know, just sort of eyeballing the tires and it seems like there's actually like less rubber and less weight on the 27.5 fat. Like the sidewalls aren't as tall as the 26 fat. So I'm, I'm guessing I still need to ride one, but I'm guessing it's going to be a lighter and faster rolling setup than a standard 26 fat. You know, it's even lighter and faster rolling a 29er. (laughs) But yeah, try that. Try a 29er in the middle of the winter, though. So I think, that, you know, it's like, who's racing like fat bikes? I don't know. Um, aside from Ned Overend. That's my point. Like, okay, so you're taking a, you know, the 26 inch fat bike and you're making a 27.5 fat bike and you're shortening the sidewalls of the tires, which is supposed to be the whole thing behind why fat bikes are awesome in the first place is because you have all this flotation. And then you're cutting that flotation down, it's like, okay. Yeah, it just seems like you're slicing back towards something that already exists, you know? <laughs> you're, like, trying to evolve, but you're actually devolving into back into a 29er. Right. Well, yeah, the whole reason I like the Farley anyway, or I want to give it a test, is the full suspensionness of it. The 27.5 plus, or fat, I guess we're calling yeah, it. Yeah, not thing. plus. Yeah, <laughs> that, that kind of pisses me off, but... If that's what it takes to get a decent full suspension fat bike, then I'm willing to accept it. All right. So we talked about bikes that we tested this year and we talked about bikes that we want to test. What are some of you guys' favorite products that you either tested or read about this year? Well, hands down, my favorite product that I've tested is uh, SRAM's new Eagle XX1 1x12 drivetrain. I know we've been maybe talking about this a lot lately, but uh, I still can't get over how awesome that drivetrain was. And lots of people are like, oh, it's not all that great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it kind of is really. Nice rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there. how's that for an argument? Well, and it's like, everybody's like, oh, this sucks. But it's like, how many of you have actually ridden it yet? You know, it's still not very widely available. It's still super expensive. We haven't seen any trickle down yet. So all those things need to happen. However, I'm just extremely stoked on the range of the drivetrain. I know that's not maybe like a super exciting thing to say, but the sheer fact that you can have a range similar to two by drivetrain and not have to have a front derailleur and not have to, you know, worry about all the complications that come with it is uh pretty incredible. And, you know, again, it's not super exciting. You know, everybody wants to just talk about how blingy it looks, but the range is just pretty awesome to me. Well, what is the beef that people have with Eagle other than perhaps the price tag? Well, you know how mountain bikers are. They always hate something. It's that's too new. new. It's too new. <laughs> it's too new. I hate it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that have been saying, oh, you just don't need that much range. But I think 
that comes down to the rider and the area and the train and the specific trails you're on, you know, all the things we've talked about before with like Jeff, you know, riding his one by nine drive train and single speeders and our single speed podcast, you know, um, it comes down to all those things. So, you know, if you live in like the flat area of Florida, do you need a 500% drivetrain range? Maybe not, but it definitely helps when you're in the big mountains. So that's my rebuttal. All of Florida is a flat area of Florida, just <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's funny because a lot of the comments we got were like, 12, you know, one by 12 drivetrain, that's so stupid. I'll just stick with my 10 speed. And you're like, okay, well, you're like, you know, a generation and a half behind. Like, it's not, you know, you're not rocking a one by seven or something. So, yeah, people hate everything until it trickles down far enough and it comes stock on a bunch of bikes and then they love it. Right. I had that as one of my favorites too, the the SRAM Eagle. And like you said, it's not super exciting because like we're just adding one more gear. But like you guys said, I, I've been running one by drivetrains for a long time now. And yeah, I really, I really love it. And so if we're able to add more range to any one by setup, then I'm all for it. And I think that's, I think it's great. Yeah. And actually one of the cool things, the kind of side effects of this whole increased drivetrain range thing has been other companies getting into the game of making cassettes and making range extending cogs. Uh, you know, one up, for instance, they now have a 50 tooth. So you can take, you know, you can get that 50 tooth large cog that the SRAM Eagle has, but you can put it on a, on a Shimano cassette, you know, on an 11 speed. So you can, then you can bump up your chain ring up front. So you have, you have maybe some more top end speed, but you still have that massive 52th as a bailout gear. So that's been another cool thing. Like, you know, all these companies like one up and wolf tooth and, you know, hope and gamut and uh, who knows who else. Like, it seems like I'm pretty sure we've got a, a, a large cog in the works or something, don't we? <laughs> right. Yeah. Look for it. It's a good business to get into. Yeah. Well, some of my, my favorite gear got a couple of pieces, but Hands down for me would be the Smith Forefront Helmet, which isn't really new. It got a little bit of a redesign this year, and they added MIPS technology to it, which is some brain-saving stuff. That helmet is so comfortable. If you've read any of my reviews about helmets, you know that I have an oblong head, and I have difficulty finding a helmet that fits properly. So my head is long, but it's narrow. So if I wear like a medium helmet, then I get like a pressure point, usually like at the very front of my forehead, which sucks. And if I wear, I'll get a large helmet then I end up having to like crank the retention mechanism all the way in. So it doesn't flop around. And, you know, as soon as those things start to get a little bit of wear, a little bit of play in them, then the helmet's not as secure anymore. But the Smith forefront is awesome. It's like, you know, it uses this different choroid material, which is basically if you took a bunch of straws and glued them together and then cut it out in the shape of a helmet, you start to get the idea of what it is. That material, like it really disperses the weight over your whole head. So if you look at the the inside of the helmet, there's like no weird ridges or anything like that. It just like sits right down on your head. So really, really big fan of that helmet. And it just makes you, you know, I didn't really realize how, like what a difference having like 
a perfectly fitting helmet would make, you know, I feel a lot more confident charging into rough stuff. Cause I, I, you know, if I do hit the ground, I feel like the helmet's not going to go anywhere. You know, some of the, some of the cons to it, you know, aesthetically it's, uh, maybe it really wasn't my cup of tea when I first saw it, but then I, you know, started wearing it and I was like, well, I don't give a shit how it looks. This thing <laughs> fits so good. And since it has those like little straw thing choroid in it, you can't, scratch an itchy head which is kind of a bummer so if you if you have an itchy head you got to take your helmet off keeps the bees out though right? it does that is the benefit which if you've ever been riding in georgia in the summer and been stung in the head by a yellow jacket then we'll maybe look at one of these <laughs> and also again since it has that different construction to it it's kind of hard to mount anything you actually have to buy like separate mounts which Honestly, I think it's kind of bogus too because the helmet itself costs 225 bucks. So if you're going to make a $225 helmet that you can't put a, a light, that you need an extra bracket to put a light on or to put a camera on, then throw that frigging bracket in with, in the box. <laughs> yeah. You know, come on. Don't charge me another 20, 25 bucks for a bracket for a, a problem that you created. So, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, that's a, that's my top product. Nice. For me, in addition to the Eagle, one of the a late entry has been the Camelback Palos Fanny Pack. Ooh. So I've been I've been running a different version or a, a different Camelback Fanny Pack called the Flash Flow for a couple of years, and it works really well. But there's still a lot that could have been improved on it. And apparently Camelback had been working on that, and they have a, a new pack out that's the Palos, and it's it's really nice. I've had it. I've only taken it on a couple of rides so far. But what I'm really digging is it one, it just fits a lot better. Uh, the waist strap on it, it got higher and it's a little more robust. So the pack doesn't sort of flop around on you. Um, and the other thing is they've added like little pockets on the hip belt, like you would see, you know, on a lot of regular hydration packs, but you know, little spots where you can put snacks and things that you need to get to on the ride during the ride. But it seems to have more capacity than the, the flash flow pack did. So you can pack a little bit more in it, you know, despite I try to pack really light, but every time it's like, oh, if I just had a little more room, I could bring like one more thing. <laughs> so now the, the Palos seems to be the right size where I can fit like a, a jacket and a spare tube and snacks and you know, a few other things. Also, usually a lot of times I'm using the pack to carry like a big camera, like a DSLR and the Palos has plenty of room for that and should keep it super stable. So I'm really excited about that. The people at Camelback, one of the guys that, that we work with there was telling me he takes the Palos on every single ride. Like he wasn't a fanny pack guy before, um, but he just started, you know, trying it out. And he said, it's like his favorite, favorite pack that you know, they make now. So definitely really cool and looking forward to, you know, writing up a review and sharing that, uh, hopefully in the new year. Yeah. Comments on a fanny pack review should be good, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. They still haven't managed to make it cool, but they have they, made it better. They, 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 yeah, they're definitely not cool, but it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, the guy at Camelback started using it and it's really practical and you're like this, carries exactly what I need for a ride of moderate length. Right. Yeah. And just as long as the bike companies don't completely eliminate water bottle mounts, 
you know, we should be able to get away with it. I should also note that there, the pack does ship with a hydration bladder. So you could, there's a bladder that's made for the pack that, you know, will basically fill it with water if that's what you want to do. But that I pulled the bladder out like as soon as I got it. Cause I mean, I'll probably try it. I will try it with the water in it, but it just seems really awkward to like reach down and get a hose and like pull it all the way up to your mouth to drink. So we'll see. Yeah. So one of my other uh, favorite products of the year is a bag as well, but this is a mission workshop transit duffel. And this was in my Christmas gift guide. If you want to look that up and see some photos of it, you know, it's, it's nothing fancy. It's just basically a rectangular duffel bag. So it's a really simple design, but it's made in the U.S. Excellent craftsmanship, simple design. It's weatherproof, if not waterproof. It's got, you know, it's got waterproof zippers and stuff on it, but it's just an awesome bag. I've been using it for throwing all my gear in. Everything's in one place when I head out for, you know, if I'm going up to North Georgia or something for a long ride and it's, I've been using it to travel. Like I've you know, I took it to Interbike this year and I did a trip to Chicago and it's like, it's just this little bag, but it's one, it's like magic. You know, it's like Mary Poppins bag where she keeps pulling this crap out of it. You can jam a lot of stuff into a very seemingly small space. So, you know, it's not inexpensive. I think it's like 225 bucks for this bag. Whoa. Yeah, but it is, it's made in America and it has a lifetime warranty, like for real lifetime as long as you own the bag, anything happens to it, they'll fix it. And I actually have another one of their bags. I have a backpack from Mission Workshop as well. And I've had that for four or five years now. And like it is just now like showing a little bit of wear. But I mean, it's it's held up better than any other backpack I've had. So I think this duffel bag will, will be around for many, many years as well. Yeah, I've been eyeing your duffel bag. It, that thing is really sweet looking. I mean, it's like the perfect shape and size too yeah. for, you know, a three or four day overnight trip. You know, a lot of the type of stuff that we do where, you know, you go to Interbike or some of these other shows like that, that's the perfect size bag and you could just carry it on the plane and one bag, good to go. So I've got one final product I want to throw in there, but it's one that I haven't unfortunately been able to test yet, hopefully soon, but I'm really excited about Yakima's new uh, Dr. Trey hitch rack, which I probably mentioned in our Interbike podcast. So check that out as well. But it's a pretty sweet hitch rack design that, um, we haven't seen before and it's fully fat bike compatible right out of the box up to five inch fat bike tires. But the coolest thing about it is that you can adjust the trays on the rack on all different axes to keep the bikes from hitting each other. And I'm testing a different hit track, which is great, um, but it's more traditional and, you know, keeping the bikes from hitting each other can be difficult depending on what the setup is and if they don't have dropper posts. And at Interbike, they were showing me how to adjust the tray and I found it to be highly ineffective, but the doctor tray looks like it solved that issue. So hopefully I get to test that one soon, but pretty excited about that. Yeah, that sounds cool. How many bikes can Dr. Trey carry? It starts with two, but I think you can add on a third with a upgrade. You have to pay for it. And the upgrade bit is not cheap. Like I think the, oh, I should have written down the numbers, but the rack itself is about 500 bucks for the two and adding another bike is like another couple hundred bucks. So it's a 
not cheap to get three on there. Bike racks are never cheap. That's true. And especially if they're good. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. Does it fit 27.5 fat? <laughs> that's, that's what we want to know. I would guess so. Well, okay, here's the big issue with a lot of racks these days is that the front clamp, you know, is adjustable and lots of times they're making the front clamp big enough to take a full fat bike tire. So the rack I'm testing right now is the Kuat NV 2.0, I believe. And it can take like a full fat tire up to five inches up front and probably 29 plus like, you know, it's extendable, but for the rear tire, the clamping strap and the tray isn't really set up to be wide enough, but on the Dr. Trey, both front and the rear, out of the box, can take full-size tires. So it should be good to go. Yeah, I would say it seems like that, you know, if they're making the, the hook that goes over the front universal, why not make a universal rear wheel tray, too, that can, you know, that can fit road bike tires, that can fit mountain bike tires, that can fit fat bike tires. seems like a pretty simple solution. Just <laughs> You'd think so. Um, a lot of people are selling, like, longer rear straps like separate like you're talking about with the smith helmet and it's like you're already buying a 500 hundred dollar bike rack why do i want to buy a strap from you on the kuat i'm just using a bungee cord that, <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna say is just get a longer bungee cord and go. call it done <laughs> yeah i mean that's what i'm doing but you know then you gotta like carry it in your car and if you're switching between bike sizes and you fit your bungee then you're out of luck you know so so fun. I've definitely seen some creative bungeeing with fat bikes on on racks for sure. I've seen some funny things pulling up to trailheads. <laughs> yeah, it can be it can be tough. But as long as the front thing can accept the the tire, I mean that's really the big item. You know, it was a uh, I was trying on my Yakima front loader, like an older model. I think they've since released a new one that is full fat compatible, but I tried like deflating my fat bike tire to fit it in the thing. <laughs> And that's not a good idea. So <laughs> no, <laughs> FYI for readers out there. Nice. Glad you figured that out for us. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been a fun discussion about the top products that we've seen and tested in 2016. Be sure to check out Single Tracks, where we'll have a number of these year-end wrap-up type articles where we talk about some of the best things we've seen this year. Um, and also look forward to another podcast where we talk about the best trails we rode this year and some of the most interesting destinations we visited. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace. <laughs>